Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise God. I want to, I want to go back a little bit to... Um, so last, uh, last Sunday morning, we, we were looking at the book of Hebrews, and I, I do want to go back in because I was reading the book again this week. You know, we spoke last week on, on remembering or recalling the earlier days. And, um, but I, I want to kind of give you a little bit of an overview again of the book of Hebrews and just a couple of thoughts that will help you. And hopefully, uh, whet your appetite to maybe pick up the book of Hebrews tonight and begin to, to read the incredible um, truths that are written in that book. But it's a phenomenal, it's probably one of the great, it's one of the greatest books in the New Testament for sure. And again, the background of the book of Hebrews is a, is a time in the life of a lot of Jewish Christians. As I said to you last week, they were ready to turn back to Judaism. Uh, they were kind of getting a little bit fatigued. Um, they were under pressure socially from their families. Does that ever sound familiar to anybody here? Socially under pressure to, to go back to where you came from, to go back to the worship of your fathers, to go back to the worship of your grandmother, you know, and they were under pressure for that. And they were under pressure in many ways, economically as well, because as I said, to be a Jewish Christian at that time meant that you lost everything. You lost, your families cut you off. You were dead to your family. Um, you were thrown out of the temple. You could never go in, into the holy sites of Israel. And uh, you were disinherited. So if you were, worth, if dad was worth a lot of money, you were now a pauper. You never got anything. So there was all this, these sort of self-serving reasons, you could say, to turn your back upon Jesus. And, um, and not only that, at this portion of AD 60 to AD 69 is when this book period is written in. There was a, a, an event that happened, of course, the Jews who were under the Roman oppression were, you know, all the time testing the, uh, the Romans about trying to get their independence back. And there was a revolt at this time, and the revolt was successful. And what happened, they had sacked the Romans out of Jerusalem, and there was this huge nationalistic uh, sort of fever, you know, this sort of uh, great nationalism rose up again. And, and, and of course, the, the, the religious people seized onto that understanding of that now they were restoring the glory back to Israel, the kingdom back to Israel, that God was with Israel, because if God wasn't with Israel, how could they defeat the Romans? And they had defeated the Romans temporarily. And so there was this huge revival of nationalism, and a lot of the Jewish Christians were thinking, well, well maybe God hasn't forsaken the Jewish faith, and maybe Judaism is the right faith, or they've, they've, they've cast off the Roman rule. And so they were, getting, they were second-guessing that as well. So there was a lot of things coming in, and you know, when, when the Romans had been defeated temporarily, as I say, very temporarily, that sent, a, that sent like an earthquake tremor right back into Italy, back into Rome, where... Um, a lot of the Jews in Rome were thinking, my goodness, maybe we got our eschatology wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus wasn't the right one. Maybe it's salvation is of the Jews and it's back on the Judaism. And so there's, they, they, they're this, that's the sort of thinking in the background of what the writer, which I believe is Paul, was writing into. He was trying to, he was trying to bring them into comparison that everything that the Jewish Jews believed and how it fell short of really salvation. It, did, it couldn't bring about salvation. Incidentally, of course, the Romans had to mount two armies, actually. They had to take one army back. To, uh, Titus had to come back from Europe and another local army, and it took two Roman armies 
to, uh, to basically overthrow Jerusalem again. And because it cost the Romans so much money, you can imagine mobilizing a huge army, bringing them from Europe across the seas, the food, the mechanization, everything they needed, horses, chariots, yeah, huge money to, it was to, to, to do this. And then the local army, the anger of Rome was going to come down upon the heads of Israel really viciously. And incidentally, some of you would like a little bit of history. It was Josephus, the famous historian, led the Jewish army against Titus uh, you know, in AD 70, AD 69, actually. So Josephus is a commentator that, we, that many Christians would, would quote and read. He was a famous Jewish historian. And he led the Jewish armies to repel uh, Titus and, of course, was defeated. And he, um, he surrendered in battle. And uh, he managed to live to tell the tale in history, of course. But the Jews then, of course, Jerusalem was surrounded by the Roman armies. And when Rome broke through the walls, breached the walls, they burned the city of Jerusalem to the ground. They destroyed the temple. They not only destroyed the temple, they were sacrilegious and slaughtering a pig in the temple. They, were, they dedicated the temple onto Zeus to really, and then to kill Jewish nationalism, what they did is that they dispersed the Jewish nation all over the world. So they literally, literally dispersed the Jews at that point at AD 70, and they renamed the country of Israel Palestine, so that there would be no sense of national identity anymore. Israel was gone. So, so lest any of you Jews ever get a notion of having Israel again, we're even changing the name of the country. So you, this was a deliberate ploy to break, and I suppose, you know, slightly off topic, but it's interesting for you. I think one of the greatest modern miracles of our time, you know, if you study anthropology, which is the study of people groups, how people groups started and tribes and nations developed and different customs and behaviors of people groups around the world, anybody that studies anthropology, whether you're secular or Christian, would have to say, 1948, when the Jews regathered, after 2,000 years, they are dispersed throughout the world. They are they are being hounded. You saw what happened not just before World War II and before the axis of even Nazism killed six million Jews. They were being in pogroms. They were being pilloried. They were being cast throughout the world. They were being hounded uh, for 2,000 years. Yet they managed to keep their identity and keep their faith alive and the promise of a restoration to their homeland. Quite remarkable. So when 1948 happened and the Jews, after 2,000 years, came back to their own homeland and called it the land of Israel, that is, there is nothing like it in history, friends, in any part of the world. So whether you're a believer in, G in the Bible or God or any of that, it is a modern-day marvel nonetheless. We're not talking about two weeks, two years, 20 years, 200 years. We're talking about 2,000 years. And yet the, pl the plans and promises of God, to, it started there, friends, and it's going to end there. Amen. And you can see the correlation of God's power bringing and reconstituting because it is God will bring about the end, not the devil. Amen. God is in control. God is sovereign. And so we have the book of Hebrews. And again, I, I, I do want Christians to become more educated in their Bible. I do want you to study more the scriptures and study yourself as, you know, as, as a good student of the word of God that can rightly divide the word of truth. The apostle Paul says it's very important for you, particularly in the times that we live, we live in because we are under intense pressure from false sciences and so much propaganda and disinformation, false religion, false brethren, 
people that would speak out of the same Bible you read, but they would twist it and twist the words away from their, from their intended meaning to bring people into bondage. Our own flesh will try to take a verse of the Bible to indemnify any sin we want. So it's a time for us to understand what the Bible says. Amen. It's really important for the Christian not to be ignorant of the one great, one of the greatest gifts you can ever give is the Word of God. That God supernaturally, through His power, has preserved this Word. It's amazing. There's not another book like it. It's preserved for you, supernaturally preserved. Men that were supernaturally touched by God, that were overtaken by the Spirit of God and the presence of God, to pen things that were way beyond their pay grade to pen things of a prophetic edge that they had really very little understanding of how that, what it actually meant at times. But yet we see the fulfillments all the way through and coming through in the life of Christ and the life of the church and others yet to be fulfilled. And that was the supernatural power of God preserving his word. Don't think for one second that the false scientists and the false historians that will try to look with a long stare at the Bible and say, how could it possibly be? Let me tell you, God created this world in six days, friends. What amazes me is that he didn't do it in one. Amen. That's the issue. To me, I don't have a problem with six days. I say, well, Lord, why do you not do it all in one day? I think you might tell me the answer one day when I get to heaven. But until then, I just say, praise God. Day one, he did this. Day two, he did that. And we just trust God. And as you and I as Christians simply begin to walk in faith, and I'm going to talk about faith, obviously, because we're, we're coming towards the closing chapters today of, uh, of Hebrews. But, you know, suffice to say that the book is written predominantly through ex-Jews who become Christians. And, you know, the Jewish understanding, of course, they had a priestly system. They had a sacrificial system. They had a covenant system of relating to God. And, of course, and this was all given to them, handed on by God. So they were a people of revelation. Jesus was a Jew. The Jews were the right religion of the time. The Jews with the Semitic race was the plan of God where God was going to bring through the loins of Abraham. He was going to produce the Savior, Jesus Christ. But all the way through the Old Covenant, even the Jewish Old Covenant, the very word that they read today, not just whispered, but announced that there was going to come a seed out of the loins of Abraham. This seed was going to be the final solution to the powers of sin. And so all the way through the Old Testament, we can see it through the servant songs of Isaiah, through many, many, many scriptures that there was going to come a savior into the world. And of course, the Jews today, they, they, they turned their back in them. And as a consequence to that, they're in no man's land spiritually. They're in no man's land. And actually, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable all the time because they've turned their back to God. But thanks be to God, Romans tells us there'll come a time when God will turn his attention to her and all Israel will be saved. That's a day that we look forward to on our, on our calendar, whether we're here or raptured. It doesn't matter. God will work a plan for them. But right now, salvation, there is, and all times, there's only one name in the name of Jesus, and they have rejected that name. But thank God there'll come a time when they will look upon him. They, being Israel, will look upon him who they have pierced. And they will weep as one weeps over an only son. What a day that will be, amen, when God begins to visit that nation of Israel. But so the, the writer here, he starts to dissect the, 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 in, the, the insufficiency of the Jewish system. Talking about Moses, he first of all begins to communicate to him the divinity of Christ and Christ's priestly role. They had the Aaronic heritage where Aaron and his sons were the priests and the high priests that served and went in before. But Jesus is a higher priest, amen, after the form of Melchizedek. Jesus is superior to the Aaronic priesthood. 
Jesus exceeds all that went before him. That's what the, the opening chapters are all about. So he's writing and he's telling him about the, in, the insufficiency, the, the lack of the old covenant. The blood of bulls could never take away sin. Yeah, the priests were sinners themselves. They could only go in by an act of God's grace once a year and bring atonement. But they themselves had to make a sin offering for themselves. But talks about the superiority of Christ, the great high priest who never sinned, amen. Who did by one sacrifice bring the righteous to the, uh, uh, made the unrighteous man righteous in the presence of God. They talked about him being spared in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. It talks about Christ being better and superior to the Old Testament 15 times. A better priest, a better mediator, a superior law, the law of love, a superior covenant, better than the old covenant. And so he's doing this because these Jewish men are trying to go back to the beggarly elements of Judaism, ritual and religion. I want to tell you, friends, be very careful. We all love a bit of religion. We all love a bit of ritual. We all like a little bit of Ave Maria, nice to see you. We all like to bless ourselves. We all like to do something for God. We all like some sort of spiritual, oh, I did this for God. I walked up Crow Patrick barefoot. That I fasted, I did this, I did this novena, I did so many glory bees. You understand, we all like to do something for God. But the whole Bible story says that all your works are like filthy rags. None of them can bring about the righteousness of God. And he points that out so beautifully in the early chapters that despite the revelation, despite the grace of God given through the old covenant, yet sin grew. Sin had the upper hand. Sin broke through every time the firewall of these old covenants. And men and women were separated from God on a, con on a, on a continual basis because they could not by the works of the law be justified. And he talks about that. By no, deed, no, by no way can a man be justified by the works of the law. So whatever law you think is the law of God, the, the Muslim has his laws, the Buddhist has his laws, as he sees it. But by the works of the law, there is only one true law of the old covenant, but as they may see their false laws, it doesn't matter. By the works of the law shall no man be justified. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, I'm here today, God in heaven. Thank you very much, Lord. I'm here because I prayed more than John Ramos did. I gave more than Mary did. I worked harder than John did. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of the best people you'll ever meet, God. And I have a right to be here. Do you understand? Nobody's going to stand like that. Nobody's going to stand in his own righteousness. No one's going to be able to say, well, I know I did bad things, but I did some good things. And they cancel each other out. No, they don't cancel each other out. Sin is a malignant force, a dangerous force that destroys, disfigures, and changes everything around us, friends. And so the writer is showing the inadequacy of the entire old covenant, pointing to Jesus. He warns them. I know this is a, this is a recap of last week, but it's so important for you to get hold of the book of Hebrews into your heart. Because we are so naturally bent towards religion. And we're so naturally bent towards certain thing, ways of thinking that somehow that I can't fix my problem. I can somehow offer something to God. I can some, uh, somehow do something for the Lord and everything will be okay. But of course, you can do nothing for God. Somebody else had to do it for you. Someone else had to come in your stead. Someone else had to take the punishment. Someone else had to pay the price. Someone else had to stand in the gap. And of course, out of the pages of Hebrews, he begins to elevate Christ as superior and better. And he begins to do it in such a beautiful way that he says, how can you go back to this? How can you go back to those beggarly elements? How can you go back to religion? 
How can you go back to that self-righteous, Darwinian form of existence? In other words, survival of the fittest, religiously speaking. You know, those who can do the disciplines the best. Those who can uh, fast more than others. Well, take a look at your poor pastor. I don't think I would have won in the fasting department myself. But anyway, even if you could, by the works of the law, shall no man be justified. And so this is the, this is the incredible thing. The, the, the entire story of the Bible starts to move, the new covenant starts to move you away from works. I want you to think about this now, even for those of you who are on the road a long time. It moves you away from works and starts to introduce a word called faith. Faith. It starts to move you away into something that you have done, into believing for something that God has done for you, and to walk in that. And so the entire Hebrews is bringing us up to this point all the time of walking in faith. And of course, last week's message was telling us in chapter 10 about, you know, you know remembering the early days of the salvation when we stood in the great contest and to hold on to faith, the just shall live by faith. Now, I want to read Hebrews 11 this morning to you because this is where we're going to close it out a little bit today in Hebrews. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that before, but he obtained a witness that he'd done the right thing. Isn't that awesome? When people say, how did they know what was right and what was wrong? How did they know if they were pleasing God? Well, Abel received a witness in his heart that he was in the right, doing the right thing. That he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, here we go. Verse 6, Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible. I need you to say it this morning. Be alive with me. Say the word impossible. Impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not casually seek him. Diligently seek him. And so this is, this is where the Bible is taking people from Judaism. It's taking them to faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance, we get the word in the Latin subsidence or foundation. So faith is the foundation of things hoped for. The evidence is another Latin word for that where we get the word conviction. It's the conviction. And so when a man or a woman has faith in the goodness of God, in other words, I can trust the goodness of God. Amen. I can trust who God is. And even a, a, a casual look around creation, even for the atheist and the non-believer, a casual look at the order of the universe, the structuring, 
the, 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 the perfection that surrounds us in the cosmos. Even when you hold a little baby, we hold our little baby Elias only five or six weeks old now, and the perfection that's there. You know, the, the constitution of people, how we are so fearfully and wonderfully made, how God has brought us together and, and, and given us faculty and, and given us uh, thoughts and given us the ability to communicate in the spiritual realm and the physical realm with Him. It's quite staggering, friends. Even the casual look would say, if there's a God, He's a good God. He's created good things, but there's an evil in this world. Of course, we'll deal with that another time. But the faith is the faith in God. Faith is our foundation. Our foundation is in the person and character of God. And for the Christian, when you have that relationship with God, when a man or a woman has had that encounter with God, something says, I can trust Him. I can't trust myself. I can't trust religious people, but I can trust God. And that's where faith starts. And then to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, that was one word that people used to leave out, the diligently seek him part. Because there's many casual seekers of God today. What I mean by casual seekers is that when your exams are coming up and you didn't do enough preparation or swatting, you do throw out this sort of like, you know, uh, last minute prayer. Oh God, help me. That's sort of light switch prayer. Oh, he didn't help me, so he's not there. That's not diligent. That's casual and throwaway. There's no conviction there. But for a man or a woman, say, oh God, by default or error, I've missed it, but I am diligently seeking you. I want to tell you, God will meet with you. You heard our sister this morning, how they prayed and prayed. Men should always pray. The Bible says and not faint. It's a walk where we're inquiring of God. It's a walk of faith. Now, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, how would you have me to live? And it's a walk of circumspect relating to the Spirit of God in faith, knowing that God will always give us an answer. I used to struggle as a young Christian. How do I know if God's speaking to me? I want to tell you right now, you will know when God is speaking to you. If you take the time to listen. I said it to Brother Frank, you know, yesterday when we were trying to comfort Frank and Bernice and, and Jackie and, Fra- and, and Shane, you know, on Tuesday here at Feed Cork, we pray with the voluntary workers and we were just praying before the food bank opened up. And we asked them, is there a prayer request? And uh, Frank put a prayer request in for his brother who was sick in Colombia, David, and had the flu. It wasn't COVID because he tested negative for COVID, but he had the flu of some sort. And he, and he, he asked me, he said, would you pray for my, my brother David? He's sick in Colombia with the flu. And I said to him, and I said, I'm not trying to be mystical. I told him this yesterday. When you said that prayer request, something twinged inside in my spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, but I was not listening. God is always, if you want to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying, there was, there was, there was, there was that, that spark in my spirit that I, I actually got a jump in my spirit. I did pray, prayed wholeheartedly for him, but I believe the Lord was even giving a warning then. And that's something very, very minor you could say. But I want to tell you, Christian, you know, as you walk by faith, God will speak to you. you. You know, God speaks to you sometimes by a literal voice, but very, very, very rarely. I'm married to my wife now 34 years. And she can speak to me across a crowded room without saying a word. Just a look is enough. Amen. There's something about a relationship that you just know, you sense those who are in the relationship, you sense when the other is not quite happy. 
Your look would just cut you across the room. Or I need to go home. I'm out of here. You get to know. And it's the same when you walk with the Lord, Christian. When you walk by faith with God, I want to tell you, your relationship is everything if you want to walk in faith. See, if you're not developing that relationship, and I've known what it is to have many a lean time in my Christian life where I'm not relating to the Lord in that personal way. You know, I'm doing the automatic things. I'm going to church. I'm a minister. And, and, and a lot of my reading was not devotional reading. It was trying to find a word and never really talking to the Lord. I went to swaths of my life like that as a Christian. And as a result of that, you don't really, really get hold of what God is trying to do or say. And yet God wants you to walk with him. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. So as we begin to engage with God diligently, not casually, not, you know, we give God Sundays and the dog ends of our life. It was a song by a Christian artist many years ago, giving God Sundays and the dog ends. The dog ends are the pieces that you don't eat from the meat. You throw them to the dog. Yeah, the pieces that the butcher cuts off, that are too fatty, they're the dog ends. And that's what Christianity, for many of us, wasn't diligent faith. It was Sundays and the dog ends. Roll over on my shoulder. Oh, God, help me tonight. I've done that millions of times. Maybe you've done it too. You know, wherever it was. But there is something about faith being diligent. Faith out of a sense that the hour is so dark, the time is so near, and I so need to know what God has to say about this. I so need to know what God's opinion is on it. The sooner we find out where God stands in the issue, the burden lifts because if God says, no, I'm taking him, then the burden lifts. No, I'm going to heal him. The burden lifts. Amen. No, I'm going to move your job. No, you're going to fall foul there for a while. You're going to come under the wheel of oppression. That's okay. At least God's told me what's happening. It takes the mystery out of our lives. Where most of us begin to fall foul to tra trauma in life is that we're not hearing the voice of God. So when we're not hearing the voice of God, we're trying everything to fight our corner. Everything to defend ourselves. Everything to defend our health. Everything to defend our wealth. Everything to defend our relationships. And we work and we expire ourselves without any diligence of seeking God. I'm telling you, this is so fundamental, but it, it's what it's about. He is a rewarder. Pray, people. Start to talk to God again. I can just save my own. There's a mini revival going on in me, and that's a long way off what it needs to be. But I'm enjoying seeking the Lord now. I'm enjoying being more deliberate in my attempts to meet with Him on a daily basis. Amen. I'm enjoying the fact that I can come and say, God, uh, do you want this in my life? Or is this relationship over? Or is this going to happen? And God will speak, and all of a sudden the burdens begin to lift. I want to share that with you this morning because some of you are carrying mysterious burdens in your life. You're trying to fight your corner, and all you need to hear is a word from God. Because if, even if God says no to the relationship, at least you know where you stand. Can you say amen? At least you know where you're going. At least you know then, well, if that's the situation and that's not for me, then God will give me grace. Hallelujah. The mystery is when we don't know, well, maybe I should fight for it more. Maybe I should go harder at it here. You know, and that area is so fleshly, isn't it? It's so carnal. It so brings us down a dark road. And yet this is all about faith. Believing God. Someone, you know, let's not make faith complicated. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. It can be nearly cryptic. Faith is simple, friends. It's trusting God. Amen. Faith is simple. It's believing God. That's what it is. But you don't know how to believe unless you seek Him diligently. You don't know His mind unless you talk to Him. 
You don't know what he has to say unless you open his word. You won't sense his presence unless you walk in the order that he has prepared for you. Just in chapter 10, he talked about those who are forsaking the assembly. There's so many Christians today that are just lying down with a cup of coffee and burping and eating their sandwich watching service this morning. I get that when you can't go to church. But there's a time, friends, when the presence of God is here, and that's where God's going to meet with you. There'll be times he meet with you on your couch, and that's good. But I'll tell you the truth, friends. God's way is fellowship. Amen? Two or three gathered together in my name. That's God's norm, friends. That's God's way. You might try to reinvent the book for yourself, but I want to tell you, it is not going to be reinvented. The just shall live by faith. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so then Hebrews 11, which is you know, what we call the, the great hall of faith, the great hall of fame faith, because it goes down a chronological order of men and women, both sexes that, that loved God and walked tremendously by faith. And you can read them. I won't read all of them, but let me just read you some. And what shall I say? Verse 32, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and of Samuel and of the prophets. And through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fires, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received our dead back again to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they would obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempered. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, friends having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise like the new covenant. That's what he's talking about, all those old covenant people. You don't, they, you know, they didn't have what you have, is what he's saying. They went through fire, they went through torture, talking about the old covenant saints, and didn't have the same Holy Spirit you have. And God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And then he goes into chapter 12. So if you can follow this, he's telling the Jews, don't go back to the beggarly elements of religion. He's telling them the superiority of Christ over the angels, over the law, over Moses, over the priestly system. He's telling them to remember the early days in chapter 10 of how they were burning for God. And then in chapter 11, he starts to say, you need to start walking by faith. You need to go back onto faith, Christian. You're not too old to hear a message about going and walking by faith. And he starts to tell them this, and he starts to bring them then to the whole collage of these men and women that the world was not worthy of them, friends. They walked and they lived and they died walking in faith and trusting God. And then he goes to chapter 12, and this is such a key point for us this morning. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for, who the, for, for whom the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, 
lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. I want to tell you this morning, friends, if this doesn't touch your heart, we are surrounded. You are surrounded by a testimony, friends. You are surrounded by a heritage and a history. You have something, and the the writer tells us, because of this pedigree, because of this history, because of these examples in our lives, and we've all seen men and women of faith to the left and to the right and to the far and the behind of us, friends. We've seen and known and touched the presence of God. He says this, he says, he said, uh, lay aside every weight now and the sin that so easily entangles. And I want to leave you with this thought because everybody thinks that the sin that so easily entangles is my pet failing sin. Oh, I'm a bit of a gossip. Oh, when, when things go bad, I, 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 can, I can just go off center and whatever it may be. The sin that so easily entangles us, friends, is not that. The sin that entangles us is unbelief. He's talking about faith, to just to live by faith, putting your confidence in God. Your number one enemy. I want you to understand who the enemy is, what the enemy is. Your number one enemy in this Christian life is unbelief. It's when the enemy starts to come in and create doubt in your heart of who you are. Doubt in your heart who Christ is. Doubt in your heart what Christ has done. That is the enemy, friends, unbelief. He warns us all the way through Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 6. Warns us about sin. Because he says sin can harden your heart and cause unbelief. See to it, brethren, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So the transgressions, a Christian who gets caught in sin, it's not that that sin is condemning you because that's put on Christ on the cross, but it is touching and hardening your heart to its deceitfulness. And so the battle for you and me, friends, is to not let unbelief grow in our hearts. I want to tell you, learn how to put your hand over your mouth. Job learned how to do it. When Job had cause, when everything was taken from him, his family, his children, his wealth and his health, friends, his standing in society where men were now questioning was he even a spiritual man at all. Maybe there was secret sin in his life. He had nothing left. His dignity was taken from him. All the powers of darkness were laughing at him, friends. And it says, the scripture says, he put his hand over his mouth. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. He didn't like having to say that. He didn't like the circumstance he found himself in, but he would not bring charge against God. And that's faith, friends. Because all his ways are just. I don't understand them. Bernie CV sitting at home today, and we bless you, sister. And I know you don't understand, and I don't understand at 58 why David was taken. Don't put it, and do you know what? A true woman and man of faith will say, I don't need to understand that because I know the character of God. My faith is built upon the character of God. My faith is built upon the splendor of a creator that has fashioned a salvation purpose-built for me to see me and bring me true to a heaven and anyone else that would call upon him. And so the walk of faith, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and maybe you're here this morning and you're on the edge of backsliding. You're sitting in your seat and you're plotting some sort of secret sin and you're watching it. It doesn't matter to me where you are, who you are, what you've been. It doesn't put me up or down, as my mom would say. But I'll tell you this, though, you don't need to go there. You don't need to backslide. You don't need to go back to that old vomit of the past because you have a superior Christ. You have a superior salvation. You have someone that's taken all your punishment and how gives you all his righteousness and so the just shall live by faith, friends. Hallelujah. Look unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. This whole worship service this morning was all about Jesus. I love it. Give me Jesus. Jesus. 
Keep them in front of you this morning. Keep looking into the beautiful face of the Lord, friends. Look at those nail-pierced hands, friends. That face that was marred above any other man. That body was beaten to a pulp. As he says in the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In our ignorances, and sometimes not even in our ignorance, sometimes in our deliberateness, there was times we knew exactly what we were doing. We know exactly whose name we were calling in disrepute. We know exactly what way we blaspheme, but yet the mercy and kindness of God goes out to every man and woman in the person of Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the one that put the seed of faith in you. The first gift to be able to believe in God came from him. Isn't that beautiful? When you were so drunk in your stupor, so far in your darkness, when your mom and dad's DNA had overtaken you and you'd become just like them, the mercy of God drops a little bit of faith into you. An ability to believe God. That's universal, friends. God drops that ability into every man, every woman, to be able to believe beyond the natural order. Because the Bible says God has put eternity into the hearts of man. And with his goodness and his grace, something happened and you confessed the name of Jesus. Oh, I want to tell you, friends, don't stop confessing that name. That was beautiful. It was, it was getting saturated this morning and I loved every second of it. We kept on calling his name, loving his name. I think Andy said, wrap us in that name. I think he used that term uh, as he was praying. I, I just said, Lord Jesus. Help us to look onto you today. Help my confidence be steadfast in you, O oh God. Help take my eyes off myself. I can't save myself. And that religion and that past that came out of certainly can't save me. There's only one name for me. And it's Jesus. The name above every other name. Looking unto him and consider him who suffered such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary. Listen, friends. It's a blooming hard life. It's a hard knock life. You start out at the beginning thinking it's a walk in the park and after a while you begin to see this is a tough world. And things are only getting tougher. But I thank God today, friends, we're not home yet. Amen. Our home is just around the corner when we will see his face. And so the writer of the Hebrews is throwing everything at these Christians. Don't go back to religion. Don't go back to these beggarly elements. Don't forsake this. You started in faith, now start to walk in faith. Look unto Jesus. Remember all those who went ahead of you. Remember those who had gone to heaven. I began to consider over the last few years of those I buried, those who went down ahead of me, great men and women of God. You know, and, you know, and even David uh, Heafy, never, I don't think I ever met him. I think I might have met him once, but I don't remember. I look forward to meeting him in heaven because I believe the Lord touched his heart. You're going to hear that story another day. But praise God this morning, the word of God comes to exhort you and exhort me, friends, that the just will live by faith. So when the Holy Spirit put that bit of faith in for you, by his grace and his mercy, and you operated that faith, now he says, by grace are you saved through that faith. But first, remember, you must now live by faith. And the enemy of faith is the opposite, which is unbelief. So when you feel unbelief rising in your heart, you must understand that's the enemy of enemies. That is the very sucker punch of the devil to bring you back. And Hebrews is all about remembering, remembering, see the men and women of faith and looking onto Jesus, the author. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. 
and he scourges every son. If you're getting a bit of a scourging this morning because you've fallen into the briars of sin, it's not to condemn you. It's to correct you and to bring you to a place of fruitfulness. The just shall live by faith. You and I, friends, this morning, that is the battle. Will I continue to believe when people fall to the left and fall to the right? When people fall for any old nonsense, any old foolishness, they're going back and they're slaughtering animals. Wow. When you're set free, you begin to see the realities, don't you? Kneeling before pieces of statues, pieces of chalk, being sprinkled on with water that some man has said something over, swallowing pieces of bread thinking you're eating the body of Jesus. I want to tell you, friends, we don't walk by these beggarly elements. We walk because we know whom we have believed in and are persuaded that he's able to keep us. There's no other name. There's no other religion. There's no other way out, friends. Walk looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Stand with me this morning, and if you love him, begin to raise your hands just in thanksgiving today and say, oh, Jesus, I'm so grateful that you have saved me from religion. I'm so grateful you've taken me out of the foolishness. Many of you, I want you to think back to some of you, think back at some of the foolish practices you did. You did it out of the best intentions, but it meant nothing. They did nothing. And he brought you into a living relationship with himself. And you're, you, above many of your peers in that secular world, you are illuminated now. You know more than they know. They don't know the spirit realm. They don't know, friends. They don't know what's right or wrong, but you've been enlightened. Now walk by faith. Hold on to the hands of Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Father, we just thank you, Lord. I want you to praise him this morning where you are for such a great salvation. Just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm not bowing down to some effigy of some man. I'm not bowing down to some piece of clay somewhere. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not, Lord, superstitiously, Lord, Lord, running after cows or sheep or anything like that. You've brought me into a relationship and start to say, God, I put my faith in you again. No one else but the name of Jesus. No one else but the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning, God. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for that letter to the Hebrews. We thank you for those men and women, Lord God, that came back to you, Lord, because of the writing of your word. And now, Lord, many this morning the same, Lord. Lord, whatever life brings us, God, it may not be nice, but we know one thing. We are on the right road when we stand with you, Lord. We are on the right track. We are going to heaven. We are on the way to heaven this morning. And God is with us. Father, we bless you. We thank you again, Lord, for being with us here at Cork Church, God. We thank you for the beautiful worship, Lord, for the wonderful people, oh God, for the brethren that we have around us, the delights that we have in Christ. We give you praise, honor, and glory. And we ask you, Lord, to bless us today, Lord. Bless our children, bless our homes, bless our family, Lord God. And as we leave Cork Church this morning, Lord, may we leave, Lord, admiring and loving you all the more, Father, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. What a great salvation. 
Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.